You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to Real Vision. It's Tuesday, November 17, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by Dave Floyd, founder of Aspen Trading. But first, with the day's stories, Haley Drasnan. Hi, Ash. Well, we saw record highs yesterday around vaccine news from Moderna. A lot of hype, given their vaccine is shown to be 95% effective in a clinical trial. Moderna's vaccine also has a significant advantage over the one announced from Pfizer last week, especially when it comes to distribution, as Moderna's vaccine does not need to be kept in a deep freeze. But today, Tuesday, stocks appear to be pulling back. The Dow, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ were all down and moved into the red. While vaccine news is good for the long term, distribution is still months away. Investor focus has turned to the now, which means a surge in virus cases and new lockdown measures across the globe. The dollar also fell, still weighed down by optimism over a vaccine. The Nasdaq's narrower losses are also at least partially due to Tesla, which is soaring. The company will now be added to the S&P 500 announced yesterday on Monday. The much-anticipated change won't be effective until December 21st. But what happens next? What does this mean? Shares may be added to the index in two separate moves in order to minimize disruption. Once Tesla joins the S&P 500, the company will attract large groups of new investors. Previously, Tesla's investor base largely consisted of active fund managers who bought into the company's mission. Will these large investors now dump the stock and take gains? Now passive fund managers in charge of portfolios that mirror the S&P 500 won't have much choice but to really get in on the action. What do you think of Tesla? Comment below and let us know. What's also causing a slip in the markets today? U.S. retail sales, which missed estimates. They grew at a much slower pace than expected in October. Treasury yields fell after fresh data released today showed that retail sales rose just 0.3% in October, well below the 1.6 gain in September. The gain is coming mostly from online shopping, Amazon's Prime Day really helped lead this. We're also seeing today Walmart and Home Depot beat e-commerce sale expectations, but their stocks are down today. Why? Amazon, that's why, they announced they are jumping into the pharmacy business with online prescriptions. I should also note a lot of pharmaceutical companies are also down today. CVS and Walgreens, both of them in the red, for example. 
overall weaker momentum in consumer spending, which accounts for, you know, around two-thirds of the economy, indicates growth could really slow as we head into these winter months. Meanwhile, Bitcoin continues to rally, now reaching past the 17,000 mark for the first time in nearly three years. It's up almost 7% today in the last 24 hours. Crypto is really moving into the mainstream with PayPal last month deciding to support it. Another is Bitcoin scarcity, which supporters say offers protection against inflation and currency swings, as central banks especially ease monetary policy and governments boost spending to fight the coronavirus pandemic. Lastly, if you haven't watched it already, today, Ral spoke to Hugh Hendry. They talk about the dollar, bank reserves, and also, which I find personally fascinating, this dynamic where central bank influxes of liquidity haven't inspired banks to lend, so Hugh has a bold vision for how to fix this with extremely negative rates to sort of shock the commercial banking sector into action. Ral even asks Hugh about Bitcoin. Here's what Hugh had to say about Bitcoin futures. If it's good enough for Paul Tudor Jones, it's good enough for Hugh Hendry. And you saw Stan, you saw Stan come in around him as well. So Futures oh, yeah. And it's um, the size. You know, yeah. everything now is denominated in Isaac Newton apples. You know, Apple was the first trillion dollar uh, company the treasury market is 25 apples. The gold market is 10 apples. And the thing about Bitcoin is, what is it? It's, it's, it's just a slice. It's a quarter of an apple. And that's kind of, that's, that's interesting. It really is a macro masterclass. And you can watch it all on Real Vision if you are a subscriber. But if you are not a subscriber, now is the time to sign up. For just $1, you get seven days free. Click the link below in the description. You'll get access not to just this interview, but all the interviews for this new series we just launched called Paradigm Shift, Investment Ideas for a World in Flux. We're running this through the end of the year. We have a killer lineup of guests, Sam Zell, Chamath Palapatia, Jim Grant, Jeremy Grantham. These conversations will help reflect on your financial future as we wrap 2020. They'll help you protect your existing assets, find new investing opportunities, and optimize your current portfolio allocations. It's a really exciting time for us here at Real Vision with this cool campaign we just launched, with the crypto channel coming up, and an aftermath election event happening next week about the global economy. So join us for this exciting ride. Again, just $1 to sign up. Back to you, Ash. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Dave Floyd, welcome back. Hey, Ash, thanks for having me. How are things? Things are going well. It's great to have you back. Dave, COVID, COVID vaccine, always politics, sector rotation. Before we even get started, how are you thinking about these markets in the broadest sense? 
Well, you know, the the two topics or two or three topics you started off with, you know, they're not even really on my radar. I'm, I'm certainly aware of them. Uh, the only thing I probably comment on is that generally speaking, the COVID news has been faded, meaning the vaccine news. Um, but with for me personally, with with the market, meaning the S and P's at, at current levels, I'm purely I'm taking purely a technical approach in here. I'm vaguely aware of some of the things going on economically um, on a COVID basis, but that to me is not helping me frame any good trades. Right now, focusing on the technicals really keeps me dialed in and basically keeps my opinion off to the sidelines, which is where I think it needs to be right now. Yeah. Talking of levels, let's run through the closing levels on the day. Uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average closes at 29,783, uh, down 0.6%. S&P 500 closes at 3609, uh, down 0.48%. Uh, and the NASDAQ settles at 11,899, down 0.2%. So Dave, we were talking a little bit off camera about some key levels for you, 3603 on the low end on S&P 500 and 3630 on the high end. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you're feeling right now. Well, you know, as we were talking offline, I mean, obviously we're pretty close to all time high. So I think if we go above 3630, which is basically was the overnight high and we kind of came off of there, it looks as though we go higher. Um, it becomes a little bit more difficult to trade once we get up into there because then suddenly we don't really have any reference points to, to work from. So you're either a raging bull at that point or you're kind of waiting for things to develop so that you can cue your trades off of levels going forward. Right now, for me, I'm framing or I'm creating a, a framework whereby I'm looking for some lower levels. Again, not being bearish, just you know, on a shorter term basis. We can get below 3603. I think we head down to probably about 3570, probably hang around there for a little bit. If we get below 3570, I'm looking for 3525. Now, I know these are shorter term levels, but again, that's kind of how I'm trading the market right in here. I've never been a big macro investor kind of guy, as everybody knows. And the way the markets are trading right now, there, there are definitely one to two, maybe even three opportunities a day in the S&Ps given the range. So being aware of these levels has been really helpful for me. Um, you know, coming in today, 36.18 was a pretty key level, broke below that, tested it a couple times. So there was definitely some rotational trades in there. I'm expecting the same thing. If we can get below 36.03, I'll be looking to play the market from the short side, at least, you know, from, for a, from a temporary perspective. Right. Dave, of course, you've been on Real Vision many, many times over the years. Uh, Real Vision Daily Briefing going out to a very broad audience. For people who may not be familiar uh, with the way you think about and trade these markets, tell us a little bit about your time horizons and how you think about trading. Well, obviously, my, my time horizon can be a little bit you know, fluid, but by and large, you know, I'm looking for trades that last several hours, maybe several days. And you know, once in a while, we'll get some trades that last one or two weeks. When you get a market, however, that's more volatile, you know, given that I came up as a floor trader and then as a scalper, um, I will resort back to you know shorter term trading tactics if, if if the market conditions allow. And given the way the S and P's have been trading recently, I've been able to do that. But by and large, yeah, I'm not looking to try to um, make any long term bets. I'm trying to forecast out, you know, on average, 24 to 48 hours. Uh, with the S&Ps right now, you know, maybe looking out four or five hours, maybe during a day session, so to speak. How would you characterize the current state of the market that facilitates this environment where you're able to come in and come out so quickly on these trades? 
I, I'm speculating here, but I'm going to guess it's because most people are on some level rather confused about how the market is operating. You know, you've got very good bullish arguments. You've got very good bearish arguments. Nobody, well, the bulls obviously have the upper hand, but there does seem to be a little bit of a disconnect from reality. But I want to keep that thought out of my mind because markets keep moving higher. And if I get too anchored in on what I think seems, you know, ridiculous or maybe um, illogical, that'll impact the way I trade. So I think it's um, I think it's a, a function of a lot of very strong opinions and a lot of strong money going up and down or, you know, looking for higher levels, looking for lower levels that are basically just doing a dance. And I mean, if you look at a day like today, we're all over the place, but ended up finishing basically nowhere. We had that spike up yesterday afternoon after the close up to 36.30, went all the way down to about low, you know, 30, I'm sorry, about 35.90, give or take. And then we closed at 36.10. So all we did all day was spend, you know, was spent chopping around. Good for trading, but, you know, in terms of trying to gauge where we go next, it, you know, didn't really offer too many clues from a longer term perspective. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, one of the things I'm curious about, uh, when you think about these markets, uh, what are you looking at? Are you looking at just price activity? Are you looking at volume? Are you looking at price activity relative to moving averages? Or are you just looking at price based on uh, historical patterns? Um, no, definitely looking at, at um, price as it relates to, to volume. I, I'm trying to pick up on where footprints are left, for lack of a better word, where, where these key levels are likely to be that the market will react to. You know, obviously there was a lot of buying at that level, or buying and selling, of course, a lot of buying and selling at that level previously. That will probably act as an inflection point. But I think the key thing to, to help you in these types of markets is you all I always have to keep an eye on related markets. Yes, I've been trading a fair amount of SPs lately, but I trade a lot of currencies and I trade a lot of 10-year notes. And I'm always kind of rotating back and forth based on what's happening. So while I haven't been doing too much in FX lately, I'm keeping an eye on the dollar index. That's going to help me cue on what I might want to do in the S&Ps. What I'm, what I'm finding interesting right now is that the 10-year notes, I'm very bullish on 10-year notes. In fact, my level on the notes, I think, is really key right here, which I did, noted to clients last night was, um, here we are, pull that up here. 138.05. We got about above 138.05 today. We're currently at 138.10. I think we're going higher to 138.20, maybe even 139.05. But that to me says bullish 10-year notes probably indicates a little bit of weakness in the S&Ps. And again, that's kind of my favored view right now, at least in the short term. It doesn't mean that I'm bearish the market overall. I just think we're due for a little bit of a pause. And with 10-year notes perking up rather nicely, I might add, um, that suggests to me that we'll probably see the S&Ps move a little bit lower. So to kind of go back and loop in your initial question, it's price action, it's volume, looking at where prices have spent time and kind of left a footprint on the market, and then looking at the related markets to try to gauge, well, this market's doing this, that typically means this market will do that. Trying to come up with that mosaic, and that's what usually let, you know gets you into a trade or, or keeps you from getting in a trade. Right. You know, and talking about the mosaic, how do you think about it at, the, at this point, uh, the relationship between rates and the S&P? I think it's maybe probably flawed a little bit, only from the standpoint that we've got rates so artificially low. Obviously, they've squiggled up quite a bit in the last couple of weeks, you know, 10 years, uh, almost at 1%. Actually, today we 
uh, 0.87. So we're still 13 basis points off. Um, I would say that the market doesn't seem to uh, want to price in much inflation going forward. You and I might disagree, or not you and I would disagree, but we might disagree that there probably is some inflation out there. There's not too many people I talk to that don't that, that don't sense there's inflation out there, in, whether it be in food, medical, et cetera, et cetera. So I think maybe the rate, to go back and answer your question, the, the rates in the S&P or the rates in the equity um, correlation can be a little funky right now. Sometimes they're aligned, sometimes they're not. And I just think it's because we're dealing with a market where you've just got the Fed kind of put their thumb on the scale, making sure that rates stay low, generally speaking, even, even though they've squiggled up a little bit in the uh, last couple of weeks. Yeah. I'm also curious, you mentioned earlier that COVID not really on your radar. How do you protect the positions against a movement driven by some COVID news? And does that concern you ever? Uh, you know, you get a, a a particularly bad number for the week, for example, on the COVID front, or you get very positive news, for example, yeah. on the COVID vaccine. Uh, to what extent do you think about that and the potential to act as a driver or catalyst to gyrate some of those uh, price levels? Well, I mean, I could speak from experience about a week and a half ago, I was long 10-year notes at 138.24, and then that Pfizer news came out. And we know what happened to 10-year notes. They went from 138.24 all the way down to 137.10. And I'm still in them. They're, they're, they're squeaking their way back. But, you know, that was a that was a really crappy way to wake up. But it does happen. Right. Um, normally moves like that in 10 year notes or even other, you know, even it could have even been the S&Ps because they screamed higher. Those don't happen too often. So normally I'm not, you know, you know, shutting the lights off in my office at the end of each day going, oh, my God, where where can I get, you know, blindsided, so to speak? It does happen from time to time. That risk, as you noted, is clearly more heightened now. Any sort of COVID risk, and even back then with the uh, election risk, um, you know, we were definitely, you know, you're, the risk of getting blindsided was increased. And obviously, I've taken some lumps, at least on an unrealized profits basis. But, you know, hopefully we'll be coming back here. We're at 138.11 now on the notes and, you know, getting close back to break even. But that, unfortunately, that's the type of market we're in now. So unless you're really doing like active day trading, you know, you've got that headline risk kind of hanging over you at all times, unless you're out there actively hedging. But that kind of defeats the purpose of trading for alpha if you're hedging. I'm also curious, what events or setups do you see in the market where you just think, I need to sit this one out for a couple of days? Does that come up for you? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, that's, you know, one of the things that gets talked about a lot, but probably most traders don't spend a lot of time on is the whole psychology of trading. Um, you know, I've been at this 20 plus years now. I'm kind of blessed, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, people that know me really well from a trading perspective know that know me to be the most patient person out there. Um, I'm happy to show up on any given day and not make one trade if, if the setup isn't there. You have to remember that the markets aren't there to entertain us. And a lot of people, some to, for some reason, come away with that, that logic or they, they think they got to pull some money out of the market each day in order to justify, you know, sitting in front of their screens all day. So... Um, it's really, really important at all times, but especially now with the volatility, you got to have your setups. There's nothing wrong with sitting and waiting um, and uh, you know, kind of getting your head around not only your methodology and knowing what constitutes a good setup, but also getting your head wrapped around the psychology of trading and knowing that by and large, price action is random at, you know, by and large. But there are repeatable patterns out there, and it's it's our job to identify those repeatable patterns, which give you a slight edge, 
And if you can identify that or put that setup into that type of a context, there's no trade and there's no shame in that. In fact, that's sometimes the better trade is no trade. Yeah. Sometimes the hardest thing is to do nothing. For, for, for a lot of people, it is. And in my experience, and I've you know come across and worked with many, many traders over the years, that is by far the number one Achilles heel is, is impulse control. You know, the fear of missing out or, um, yeah, I guess that's the best way to describe it. The fear of missing out. Or panic on the other side of the coin. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a, that's an even harder one because, you know, our we're wired physiologically to avoid pain. So uh, panic usually means the position's not working for you. So therefore, more than likely, myself included, you're probably not in the most objective frame of mind. Um, and you sometimes will make some poor decisions. That does happen. And over time, you'll get battle tested. And when these things do happen, you can hopefully look at the market objectively and say, you know what, this really sucks. I wasn't expecting that, but my thesis is still valid. Maybe I'll even add here because prices are at more attractive levels, or maybe that move did enough damage and you you cut the trade and you move on. Yeah. You know, for people who may not be familiar with the framework for how professional traders think about uh, trading, tell us a little bit about what a setup is, how you know you're in for a good setup and how you know when it's time to pull the trigger on it. Well, you know, there's definitely there's a checklist, so to speak, that I like to go through and not all, you know, not every trade you you get all those check boxes set up. You know, for me, you know, very simple checklist is am I aligned with the trend? And the important key here is that the trend has to be the time frame you're trading. So let's say you're intraday trading. Well, you want if you want to be long, you better make sure that the market's trending upwards, let's say on a five minute chart or a 15 minute chart. And I'm giving just some very basic examples. Right. So you want to be aligned with the trend. Same's true with, you know, you're looking for a trade, let's say in dollar yen, you're bullish out that, you know, for the next couple of weeks. Well, if prices are moving straight down or the moving average is sloping downwards and to the right, probably not the best idea to be to be getting long. So that's your first checklist that you have to go through. Number two, Again, keeping it very simple, there's a lot more to it than this, but I like to look at oscillators, you know, a stochastic or an RSI, just as a quick filter. Are we overbought? Are we oversold? <clears throat> yes, prices can become more overbought, but yes, prices can become more oversold, but I typically don't want to be entering my trade on the time frame that I'm looking. Let's say I'm looking for a trade that could last several days, and I'm looking at a one-hour chart and a four-hour chart. If both of them have stochastics that are very overbought, I'm very unlikely to be a buyer. I'm going to wait for some sort of a pullback. So there's two check boxes right there. The trend is up, but the stochastics are you know, overbought. So I can't enter the trade right now. Wait for some sort of a pullback. And that's where I kind of pull in my levels. I like to look at Fibonacci levels, some proprietary levels that we have here that help me identify where the market's likely to react in the direction that I think my trend, that I think the trend is going. So that's a very, very simple, you know, three yeah. check boxes. But just by doing the first one, you eliminate really, really lousy setups. You eliminate trying to be a buyer in a downtrend and a seller in an uptrend. And for some reason, most humans are wired where they want to pick a bottom or they want to sell a top. And maybe in those two times out of 10, you get that to work. It works magnificently, but those other eight times you get run over. So by the time that trade finally shows up, you're so beaten down mentally and financially, you're not going to take that trade. So 
why put yourself into that position to begin with? Just align yourself with the trend. Don't try to outsmart the market. The market knows far more than any of us. Make it easy on yourself. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, and that gets right back to your earlier point about the psychology. Yeah, the psychology, you know, I personally don't spend as much time as I probably should. I mean, you look at some of the best athletes out there, you know, I'm up here in the Pacific Northwest. So, you know, Russell Wilson, in terms of the NFL, that's our local guy. That guy spends more time on the psychology of the game than he does on the physical aspect. And that's probably not completely accurate. But my point is he spends a tremendous amount of time on the psychology. My wife is famous for telling me, sweetie, you've been at this for 20 plus years. You're not going to learn anything new by staring at more charts, but you are going to learn something new by getting a handle on what goes on in between your ears. Because the trades that I screw up or the trades that I don't take, it's not because my analysis sucked. It's because I questioned it for some silly reason, which has no relevance to trading whatsoever. It's something that I need to work through. You know, you journal about it. That's where you really separate the winners and the losers and the marginal players from the marginal uh, and, the, and the really poor players. That's where, the, that's where the, the creme de la creme are. And then everybody else is everybody getting their head screwed on straight to know how to approach this from a psychological standpoint. You know, that's such a fascinating point, Dave, because I feel like most novice traders think that there's some sort of mathematical secrets that they're missing, that there's a more advanced proprietary indicator where if only they knew it, they could trade better. But the idea that this is a psychological game where you really need to understand what's going on in your head to execute at the highest level is such a fascinating point. It is. And let me give you an actual war story from my literally my first days out as a proprietary trader. I started off as a bank trader. Then I was on the floor of the exchange briefly, and then everything went electronic and I went upstairs. At that time, I didn't really have a methodology. I had a methodology that I thought might work, but I got hung up on trying to get my my head, my, my head game straight, so to speak. And it was only years after that I realized, yes, that was important, but I first needed to have a framework to trade. Framework comes first, then the psychological aspect, because you can work on you can work on getting your head ar- head around what it means to take a loss and all the vari- variety of psychological factors you want, but if you don't have a framework to overlay that on, it's a lot of wasted work. And I learned that the hard way. It wasn't until I learned and saw my framework work in real time that I was like, okay, that works. Now let me get my head around really fine tuning what's going on in between my ears. Um, Denise Scholl, in her book, um, Market, Market, Market Mind Games, I, I'm going to butcher the quote, and it's not even going to be remotely close, but you mentioned something about most traders think that if they just get that mathematical formula correct, right. everything will be solved. I'm only aware of one person out there, or one entity right now, that has successfully mathematically figured out the market. And that's Jim Simons over at Renaissance Technologies. <laughs> I don't know of too many other people. I'm not saying there isn't 
that have a completely perfect mathematical approach to the market. There's a variety of reasons for that. There's because the emotional level of human beings being involved in the market. But once you quantify something, how do you keep quantifying it? And how do you know when to adapt it? And again, she has a quote in there, but basically said, if nobody's figured out yet how to E equals MC squared the market, when are they going to figure it out? Because we've got some of the best computing and minds behind the markets right now, yet nobody ever seems to be able to figure it out. Hedge fund returns aren't any better than they were 20 years ago. They certainly aren't better than they were 10 years ago. And yet these are these guys and these gals are all using high-powered algorithms, high-powered machine learning, and yet they still can't perfect the code. So again, I'm not downplaying that because that's way beyond my pay, pay grade. But when she made that point in her book, I was kind of like, oh my God, that's absolutely right. This is still a, a human to human you know, endeavor that I embark on each day. And yes, there's algorithms in there and sometimes they're going to get the better of me, but it still really boils down to my brain and everybody else's brain being able to think a little bit more um, you know, uh, nuanced in a way that really is where you define your edge as a trader. So boy, we've gone off on a great tangent here, but to me, this is really, really important information. Yeah, it's a great tangent, though. Um, yeah. And and for people who are relatively new to this, Rentech uh, is throwing teraflops and teraflops of processing power at it, and they have an army of folks with PhDs in physics and engineering and math. So their edge is probably not something that anyone else is going to be able to replicate uh, in their living room. No, that's the thing, you know, especially this is this and I mean this in the most sincere way for all the folks out there that might be looking or they're new traders and they're looking to get if you see somebody trying to sell you some sort of a algorithmic or machine learning, please run the other way. Because what Ash just said about um, Renaissance technologies, they have so much firepower behind their computing power as well as their brain power, MIT physicists, et cetera, et cetera. No offense, but some guy in his garage has probably not done what Jim Simons has done and trying to sell it to you for $200 or whatever it is. So it just doesn't exist out there. You got to do it the old fashioned way. And if he had, he'd probably be trying to sell it to Jim Simons. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, Dave, to come back to something a little bit more practical uh, to, on the mechanics of trading, tell us a little bit about your how you think about frameworks. We talked about it a little bit before, but what is the the sort of 101 level? Because that's really where it all begins. Yeah, I, I kind of started um, answering that question earlier, you know, kind of with a series of checkboxes of, of what I would like to see. And I think for any newer trader, or even as a refresher for any trader is, you know, making sure you're aligned with the trend, making sure that your oscillators aren't overbought if you're looking to go long or oversold if you're looking to go short. Those are very, very simple tools that you can deploy. Again, that's not a whole trading system, but again, that gets you out of the gate and at least keeps you on the right side of the market. You know, my framework, again, I just just like me or just like has always been the case with me, I keep a very limited set of instruments that I trade. S&P 500, 10-year notes, and a handful of currency pairs. That's my universe, period. So I, take, I would take that same logic and apply it to the framework and technical, uh, technical indicators that one might use. There's hundreds of them, as we all know. Find a couple that work well for you. I've already told you mine. I like to use stochastics. I like to use Elliott Wave. Now, it's a little bit more of an advanced concept, 
and it has a degree of subjectivity, but if you use it properly, it is objective. You know, so my framework is really simple. It's got a handful of things. Trend, identification, for lack of a better term, overbought or oversold, meaning if I'm looking to get in, into a position, is the market that I want to uh, enter overbought or oversold? Number three, what are the support and resistance levels that are going to likely create you know, trigger points for prices to react to, not only from an entry standpoint, but obviously an exit or a target standpoint. Because I always have a, I always have a, not a time frame. I always have a price level in mind that I'd like to sell at. Sometimes they get there, sometimes they don't, but at least I know in advance. And of course, I always know in advance where I want to get out of the trade. And then I'll oftentimes bring in Elliott Wave. Elliott Wave is, you know, how's the market setting up from an Elliott Wave perspective? Does it align with what I'm thinking in terms of where I see the market going. And if those all come together, that's kind of my framework. And then, of course, it's the intermarket analysis. Are bonds supporting what I'm looking to do in the S&Ps? Is the dollar supporting what I want to do in the euro? Um, what, what's the steepness of the yield curve? I mean, is, this, is the yield curve uh, flattening or steepening? Because if I'm going to be long 10-year notes, I really want to make sure that that yield curve is about to start flattening because if it starts to steepen, um, that's not going to work for me. That's going to drive 10-year notes lower. Again, you can never have all of the boxes checked. Like, like Annie Duke says in her book, Thinking in Bets, and it's one of the best quotes I think I've ever heard out there. If you're a professional poker player, and I'm not a card player at all, but I think everybody can understand this. You can never know exactly the set, the hand that all of your opponents are playing. You can't know. You can speculate. At some point, you've got to make a decision. I think I've got the best hand or I think I got a marginal hand and that's going to determine the size of your wager. You can never know with 100% certainty that the trade is going to work out. So sometimes you just have to say, you know what, this looks like a pretty damn good setup. I'm going to let it go. And if I get stopped out, so what? Because remember, most price action is random. We can't get around that simple uh, empirical fact. But there are repeatable patterns that will give you an edge, and it's identifying those repeatable patterns, which I think can be done by going through the checklist, trade identification, overbought, oversold, key levels, Fibonacci analysis, intermarket analysis. That's a repeatable pattern that can be identified. If it wins, great. If it loses, that's okay, too, as long as you have proper trade size. So mm. that's how you have to look at it. You, uh, A good friend of mine who's you know, been trading for a very long time, was a currency trader at Morgan Stanley, now runs his own um, quantitative research shop. He is a firm believer in taking as many trades as possible, not silly trades, but as many trades as possible that have an edge because trading more, you just never know what the outcome is going to be. If you try to get overly selective, it really ends up kind of impairing you because you can never get a trade that's perfect. Once in a while, you get that gem that that's a a home run, but most of the time you're going to be hitting singles and doubles. So take trades that make sense. If they lose, so what? Move on to the next trade. So keep stepping up to the plate and learn to live with indeterminacy. Yeah. And that goes back to the psychology. So get your framework, go back and work on your head, and then become an amazing trader. Yeah, Dave, we just we just solved it. <laughs> <laughs> so problem solved. Dave, problem solved. Please. Always such a pleasure to have you on the show. Really, really appreciate it. Ash. It was a great conversation today. I hope everybody enjoys it. Thank you.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.